happy Friday. Thanks for tuning in to The Hill Talks. I'm Olivia, multimedia editor of The Hilltop with your weekly roundup. Today, we'll start with some HBCU news, campus news, and a conversation about Black women in sports with one of our very own Hilltop reporters. Let's do it. So in HBCU news this week, Hilltop reporter Aaliyah Seabrooks recently published a profile on Tamia Potter, the first black woman to be accepted to Vanderbilt University's neurosurgical residency program in its 91-year history. Dr. Potter's recent acceptance and her reaction to the news went viral on National Match Day, a day when med students from across the country open letters that will determine where they complete their medical residencies. Students have to rank the programs that they want the most and are matched if that university's program selects them in return. So the Tallahassee, Florida native got her degree in chemistry from Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University, also known as FAMU. Then she spent the next five years at Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine, a private university in Cleveland, and now she will spend the next seven at Vanderbilt in Nashville. She secured one of three spots where she will be working in the neurosurgical field, a field of which reportedly only 33 black women were members in 2018. In 2022, the Physician Specialty Data Report by the Association of Medical Colleges actually reported that Black physicians in general only make up about 5.7% of the field. Dr. Potter told The Hilltop that it's important to continue championing Black doctors and that the most important thing that she learned at her HBCU was networking as an essential skill for Black professionals. To read the full profile, check it out on thehilltoponline.com. Now, The Hilltop did some research this week and found out that Howard is at risk of violating the Expanding Student Access to Period Products Act of 2022. The D.C. Act went into effect in January of last year, and it requires local education agencies to offer period product dispensaries or similar free-for-use period products in all women and gender-neutral bathrooms. If a gender-neutral bathroom is unavailable, schools are supposed to include a period product dispenser in at least one men's bathroom. In conducting our own survey of campus buildings, the Hilltop found that out of 17 academic buildings searched on the main campus, only five had period product dispensers. Those buildings were Blackburn, the Met Building, the Chadwick A. Bozeman School of Fine Arts, School of Business, and the Undergraduate Library. The current vice president of internal affairs for this school year and the upcoming one told the Hilltop that it was especially important for Howard to adhere to the mandate because the majority of HU students identify as people with periods, with more than 70 percent of students identifying as women. A spokesperson for Howard's Division of Operations explained that they are currently updating the dispensers, but to read more about what students and faculty have to say, check out the full story online. And if you are aware of a bathroom that needs these dispensers, you can submit a ticket through the maintenance portal, which I will also link below. So the women's NCAA basketball championship game between Iowa and Louisiana State University happened a few weeks ago, and it made headlines to say the least, not just because of the game itself, but because of the athletes. 
If you haven't heard about it, Angel Reese, an LSU player, decided to give Iowa's star guard Caitlin Clark a taste of her own medicine by mimicking the you-can't-see-me hand gesture. Reese doing this was inspired by Clark doing the gesture in previous games, but there was major online backlash, as a lot of fans and commentators were very critical of Reese's actions, referring to her as classless, um, ghetto, and a whole list of other things. Uh, Sports reporter Jeff Jones wrote about it for The Hilltop, and he's here with me to talk a little more about it. Thanks for coming, Jeff. Yeah, no problem. So did you watch the game live? Yeah, I did watch the game live. What did you think while you were watching it? You know, when I seen it happen at first, I didn't think and people were going to make a big deal about it at all because you kind of see that kind of stuff in sports all the time. So, and as a sports fan, it, it wasn't something that was strange to see, you know, because sometimes the NBA games, you get you get to see uh, people like punch their own teammates and stuff like that. So it definitely wasn't the craziest thing I ever seen in a sports game. But when, but once I like, cause you know, I was listening to the live tweets and the live tweets is when I really realized like, oh no, people are going to have a big problem with this. And that's kind of when I realized it was going to be a conversation that we had to have. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Why do you think people reacted in such a big way? Yeah. So I think it's just um, something that people have been kind of on her case all year long for when she was doing, she was doing TikTok dances on the court and all the, just for showing emotion on the court all season. So I just think the broader issue just came in where, as far as how black women are viewed, they aren't allowed, you guys aren't allowed to show your emotions as often because you are, you're often labeled as over, or as being overdramatic or angry. So that's kind of why people felt that way about her reaction. Yeah. So what were people saying about her specifically? Yeah. So I I kind of think they just were just poking at her character, basically, just because of how she reacted to or, or even even though, you know, we all saw Caitlin Clark do it a few days before. So and that's where I just feel like the uh, bias comes in. So admittedly, I'm not the biggest basketball follower, but obviously this isn't an isolated incident, right? I can think of a bunch of examples in sports and entertainment in general off the top of my head when, you know, confidence and unapologeticness in Black women is hyper-criticized, like um, like how Shakari Richardson was. Um, and I'm thinking about Serena Williams getting getting criticized for standing up for herself and even Naomi Osaka. Can you talk a little more broadly about what issue this kicks up in the sports community specifically? Right. I think it definitely just it shows that the sports community isn't fully ready to accept women and what comes with a woman's sports game. I feel like it's still a few biases there, even though now with the is the is getting a lot more attention recently with uh, the NCAA championship and even the tournament as a whole, you know, because people only talk about that once that one uh, thing from the tournament, but it was a good tournament overall. It was a lot of different teams in there, even that South Carolina team that was really good. So I think it just exposes that people aren't fully ready to accept women's sports as a headliner. You know, that's something I was thinking about too um, in women's basketball, specifically the WNBA and even college women's basketball games have been known to get less attention than the men's teams. But for whatever reason, this season and this game in particular broke so many records in viewership. So I just think it's interesting that this is what's coming out of that newfound attention. Right, yeah. 
that's a good point how this is more of a I don't know if we would be talking about the same situation a year ago, but now with all the players that people are watching, you know, even Caitlin Clark being a player, people were really excited to see. So now it's just more attention than there ever was before. Yeah, and I think a lot of that seems to be because of this double standard that you were talking about. I would definitely think it's just, it's definitely something that's specific to Black women because even when you look at the NBA, you see guys throw kind of like tantrums all the time and we kind of get ex- used to it. Like like I talked about, Rudy Gobert just punched his teammate the other day on the sideline. Draymond Green punched one of his teammates earlier in the year. It's, it's stuff that happens in the NBA way more often and we're a lot less critical of it. Of course, got people are critical of those guys, but they didn't attack their character in the same way Angel Reese's character was attacked. Have you talked to any student athletes at Howard about this? I'm curious if they ever feel policed in a similar way. Right. Yeah. So I talked to Niall Miller, who's a freshman forward uh, for our Lady Bison basketball team. And she actually spoke on how she feels like she's being policed in the MEAC specifically and how she felt MEAC referees were sensitive. Yeah. So I'm definitely curious to see what next season looks like on the heels of this. I wonder if it'll even change the way people think about and watch the WNBA. What do you think this conversation means for the future of women's basketball going forward? Right. Yeah, I definitely think it's a bumpy road, but I think this is really signs of progress more than anything because is stuff stuff has to happen sometimes in order for us to have a conversation. And that's the only way for progress is to have a conversation about some, something. So I definitely think that this is going to bring forth progress for women's college basketball or even women's um, like the WNBA. To read Jeff's full story, check the show notes. It'll be linked there. Thanks again, Jeff, for coming on the show. No problem. And that's all from me this week. Thanks again for tuning into the Hill Talks podcast, your weekly roundup, Sincerely the Hilltop. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to everything that we talked about today. And until next time, I'm Olivia Green in truth and service.